Welcome to episode 69 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and we're back after another short break Daz and uh, look how have you been first of all uh, I know you've been watching I, a little bit of basketball I've been watching a little bit of basketball I was just before we got on tonight it was just sort of reveling in the kind of the the planet's euphoria of the New England Patriots you know sneaking one out so we get to see a bit of bit of them in the Super Bowl and I was just listening to the Bill Simmons podcast just making sure I heard about um, their miraculous franchise and all the wonderful things that they do. And just probably it's the greatest sports franchise ever known to <laughs> probably since the first games in Athens, Daz. Well, I think so, in fairness to Bill Simmons, I think you, you probably know, you shouldn't know what to expect from that podcast uh, by now. I mean, he calls his dad up at the end of it and they just sit back and wax lyrical about what a great franchise they've been looked as. Get, if you want to do yourself a favour to see why they've been such a great franchise, see a couple of the plays that were reversed uh, against the Chiefs today, and then you'll understand why the Patriots uh, continue to uh, make Super Bowls. And, and clearly, the NFL wanted the the Rams and the Patriots in the in the showdown because uh, I saw literally what may have been the worst call of worst worst no call I've ever seen in my life in the New Orleans game. Uh, and then I saw a number of um, uh, a number of calls go the Patriots way. Albeit there was a couple of calls that went against them as well, but I think on the balance of things, um, the Patriots had the better of the officiating, which is something we've come to expect at this time of year in the NFL. Look, let, let's be clear. I would rather drink, um, you know, hepatitis B mad cow gallons of mad cow blood before I listen to Bill Simmons podcast after Patriots, you know, victory like this. So I'm, I was firmly tongue planted and <laughs> cheek there, but uh, <clears throat> no lie. And yeah, I've, I've seen my share of, of outrageousness in NFL. And look, we, I think uh, um, probably won't turn this into an NFL bashing podcast, although that's, that is easy to do. It does remind me why, you know, the, the, the controversy and, and the arguments and the conspiracy theorists and the big market theorists, all that sort of stuff is alive and well. And the Goodell school of thought is definitely that that drives ratings and clicks. And the more angry you have fan bases, the better it is because that creates animosity and rivalry. So there's actually, this is not a, that's not by accident. Um, but for me, that's just, it, the sport has lost basically all meaning and credibility. So um, I've quite too was pulling for a KC uh, Rams game, um, like anyone else, but uh, just to make the, the Super Bowl uh, nothing but joy, where I wouldn't mind the Rams, you know, Casey. But um, but yeah, there we are. Um, alas, with the, well, I think the every, NFL, everyone's got a team to hate. Yeah. The bean cans at the NFL know what the ratings will be and what the interest level will be, depending on what the matchup is, and and they tend to try and maximise that. Uh, whenever they can, it's so not an accident. They yeah. didn't. Uh, they certainly didn't miss today uh, with some of the some of the officiating that we saw, unfortunately, in some of those games. So we, but as you say, Daz, we might devote a podcast one day to all the problems that we have with the NFL. I'm sure we could we could bring that one out <laughs> to one and a half two hours long, uh, without without doubt. But what we're going to do tonight is look more closely at the Eastern Conference because I think we, we sort of spoke off air that the Western Conference hasn't really shaken out yet. It's just one big blob of teams with Golden State and Phoenix sort of bookending both of those or bookending the conference and there's not much clarity on what's going to happen, I think, beyond that. I could see, you know, 
almost any scenario you could talk me into in the Western Conference at the moment. Whereas the Eastern Conference has really shaken out where you've got five, I think, genuine contenders to win the conference. I don't think they're genuine contenders necessarily to boot Golden State, but I think they're, they're genuine contenders for the conference. You've probably got another one, two, three, four, five, six teams below that that are going to be fighting out for the playoffs. And then I think you've got uh, three teams at the end, sorry, four teams at the end of the conference that are in, in tank mode and uh, just looking to stink up the stink up the joint and, and sort of tank for Zion Williamson. So we're going to start with the, these middling teams, Daz, uh, and not to spend too much time, but just give a quick te- temperature take on, on who you sort of would favour um, to make the playoffs from here. So we've got three out of these six are going to make it. And three are going to miss out. And I guess on, on the broader point too, they'll look at, well, well, should all of these teams be trying to make the playoffs or should some of them be looking to, to tank and maximise their draft pick or draft odds? Uh, so you've got the Nets at 24 and 23. They're in the sixth seed at the moment. You've got the Heat at 22 and 22. The Hornets at 22 and 24. The Pistons at 20 and 25 who have really cooled off after a hot start. The Wizards are hanging around, as, and I suggest that they may do this when John Wall went down, and they've done this. They're, they're 19 and 26, but they're 6 and 4 in their last 10. So uh, they're sort of hanging around uh, with, a, with a sort of half chance, I guess, of still making the plus. And the Magic are still there at 19 and 27, uh, and there's talk the Magic are going to be buyers at the trade deadline. So do you sort of feel like, I mean, I, I kind of feel like the Nets heat and, and Hornets will probably stay in those three spots and the, and the three outside will stay that way. But do you see any of those three on the outside looking at the moment sneaking in? Jeez, this is the... You just get right to the heart of the uh, the intractable problem and splitting hairs between the between the, the, the morass, don't you? Um uh, look, I'll go one by one. I don't have a, I don't have an answer as a headline, Daz, but I'll say right. What we've seen from Brooklyn, right, is the obviously we got a resurgence from D'Angelo Russell, who's you know all of his known limitations, lack of quickness, lack of athleticism, you know, but none of that has changed. But there's been a there's been a big shot making um, that he's shown that he hadn't shown in years past. And let, and to be fair, he's healthy. He had you know, quite a in, couple of injury riddled seasons. And so he's had, you know, the greatest ability is availability. So D'Angelo's kind of broken through that. And then just, that's probably the headline there in Brooklyn. And, and Dan Woody, who's had a couple of heroic, you know, sessions, not, not the least of which that ridiculous um, flurry where he hit three threes in the final 70 seconds um, to beat Houston in Houston, albeit an undermanned Houston, but Brooklyn came from way back to win that. And so I think that for me is where Brooklyn begins is that you've got two really um, super confident kind of gutsy backcourt players and, and who um, seem to balance each other out. Um, they're staggered pretty well. And, and we all know the role players and Kenny Atkinson are like what Brooklyn's building. And I, I get the real feeling that, that there's a, there's a, um, uh, there's a baseline for them, right? Like their floor has risen so highly this year, right? And that's why I, I kind of like about Brooklyn, where they're just, I just don't see the bottom dropping out because they are so well coached and they got that scoring threat. And who knows if Levert, um, with this miraculous, you know, um, healing process maybe comes back after, the, I don't know if after the All Star break, 
I guess he's doing basketball um, activity yeah, nowadays. Yeah, he's not far off five on five. Was all that ready? Yeah, that's right. So. He's kind of jogging and running, and he's got his you know, jumper going and he's finding his feet. So, look, who knows, right? It's really early days for him. We've seen what happened to Gordon Hayward and, and the rest of them. So, look, I think Brooklyn's floor is kind of raised in the same way. I, you know, I've seen, I say, from a talent perspective, I'd say Miami's and Washington. So, those three for me are probably. I actually would insert. Um, believe it or not, insert Washington as a higher floor just because they've got, for me, still probably the best player of that group and Bradley Beal, who, as we saw last year, and he's doing it again this year. Yeah, a, but the Nets have got more players player. two through yeah. 10 in there, the they, argument. They they do, right? This is, so this is more about, for me, it's more about Charlotte dropping in and someone like in Washington, you know, leapfrog him. So for me, well, Charlotte's just, just team... quickly on the net. So let, let's talk yeah. about D'Angelo Russell a bit more because he, he's, let's break down his numbers because we're looking at, uh, just bring you up now. So he's averaging 19 points a game, six and a half assists, 3.7 rebounds, 1.1 steals on th- 37% shooting on three pointers. And uh, what is it? 44% overall, 48% from two. Now, it- if both of those career highs as as efficiency, right? Both career highs. And Grant is right. Thirty seven percent is above his career of thirty was highest before with thirty five. So it's a tick above, but it's also on higher usage. Well, the higher usage, higher, he's taking over tenths. seven a game. So um, yeah, just quick. I mean, put contracts aside for a second. If if Brooklyn rang up the Lakers or vice versa and they said Lonzo Ball for D'Angelo Russell, what do you, who do you think would hang up first? <laughs> oh God! So, we, so you just talk about we could spend ninety minutes um, decomposing the the corpse of the NFL. He's also shooting eighty one percent from the line. Lonzo Ball shooting forty one percent from the line. Well, that's that's a that, unfortunately that question I can't I I can't answer that in isolation because I was going to say the the ninety minute decomposition of the NFL. We could spend ninety minutes talking about the Lakers of where they've been expectations. Um, how the how's in, how the season began, how they got it right. I started playing with pace, and now the things are kind of the wheels are a bit falling off. And it's not just LeBron's injury. So, um, I so uh, I don't know. Um, I hear your question. It's a it's probably a scary yet fair comparison. Dare I say, um, who has more value in the NBA right now? More trade value, D'Angelo Russell or Lonzo Ball? God damn, Daz, that's a that's a great question. Well, the um, contract. I don't think makes I don't think D'Angelo. I think I don't think D'Angelo fits next to perhaps. Yeah, and I go. Yeah. I still. I don't think D'Angelo's a great temperament next to LeBron. So that's where I kind of go. But I see where you're saying a comparable asset. Boy, you, I can't believe you made me think that hard on a for D'Angelo Russell. Because I'm still kind of a Lonzo believer. I don't think Lonzo is an, probably an All Star, but I think he's got himself a. You know, I, I still think he can be rich man's R- Ricky Rubio, right? Really strong, great distributor. Um, and I'm probably perhaps in part of the camp. Right? Maybe he just needs to get out of L.A. Maybe he needs to get out of – just get a new environment, a new system, and and just get a new fresh start. But that's a great question. I, I, so in isolation, I think I'd probably give the – the uh, look, D'Angelo would help L.A. a lot more right now. So if the Lakers wanted to make a push, no question, right? And this is like the English Premier League where he could just buy guys off contract and they go back at the the following season. Boy, wouldn't that be fun, Daz? You know, <laughs> Russell, Russell in L.A. for three months and, and Lonzo in New York for three months, that'd be that'd be pretty interesting. But um, Well, but don't yeah. forget, Russell, too, is only 22, so he's only one year older, so it's not like you're talking a massive difference in terms of age. 
Yeah, he came out really young. In, coming into the yeah. league early. So I think, I look, from what I'm seeing, Russell just looks the better player. Uh, and I'm just, I'm wondering when the penny's going to drop for Lonzo Ball, where he's going to uh, overtake Russell in terms of um, his efficiency. Because uh, he, he's not, he's not, I don't think he's ever going to be a high volume scorer, Lonzo Ball. I mean, the best I think you can hope for is maybe 15 points a game. So then, Where's the where's the value he's adding to the team going to come from when you're already looking at, at Russell and Allbird on a on a higher usage is getting more assists, less turnovers. Um, I'm just looking at the steal numbers. So Lonzo is a little bit better in the steals and, and, and possibly a little bit better uh, defender and, and projects that way as well. So it's just something to watch because this is the the guy obviously the Lakers punted, which is what what makes it obviously relevant that they punted him to to the Nets and didn't get a heck of a lot back, it has to be said as well. So um, it's, it's yeah. just just something to keep an eye on, I think, uh, for is. the train wreck that's becoming the Lakers season. So I love I love that we try to talk about the Eastern Conference and yet five minutes in, we're, <laughs> we're into Lonzo and the Lakers. This is how interesting the middle of the East is, right, Daz? But, uh, well, so I, I think, but are, are you happy to, to pencil the Nets in? I think we could pencil no, that in. No, I'm not right because I go. They're also fragile as well, right? Again, you list just like any team like that in the bubble. If you you lose Russell for for a month, like the way Lonzo, right? Lonzo had a really probably lucky he didn't have ligament damage. Speaking of injuries, right? So Lonzo's out for four to six weeks, and it looked worse than that. So he's pretty lucky it was just a really bad ankle sprain. So no, I, I'm not pencil sure. But you know they're a negative differential dad. They're still negative point five, which is a you know like something like a thirty-eight, thirty-nine win projection. Yeah, but they're already they're three games ahead of Detroit, so they're already got a little bit of a buffer. Um, I know, so I'm, I, but pencil yes, ink no way. Right? So I still think top to bottom, Miami is probably the most solid in just veteran presence, most dyna- dynamism. I really like how Justice Winslow's playing, Daz. That's been nice to see. Now they have a bit of a logjam now that Deion Waiters is back, and he's probably a little bit grumpy, so he might be a he's a buyout candidate or a stretch candidate. But, you know, they've got their usual 11 deep. They're kind of the Clippers of the East. He's kind of a really solid NBA team with a, with a terrific coach. Um, so Miami will be, I think, probably the peskiest team to get eliminated because they can withstand an injury here and there. They've also got some space. You just never know with Pat Riley where they bundle some – you know, bundle some contracts, they might get themselves a, a mini star and start something a little bit different there in Miami. So Miami would be the one I'm probably most confident in putting in that top eight. Um, Brooklyn, yeah, I just like their whole team dynamic. Charlotte, as you know, I've talked a little bit offline. Look, I love Kemba, but I just don't like anything really else about that team. And as ridiculous as, again, I've talked about this probably for two and a half years, is, is it as crazy as it sounds, but losing someone like a Cody Zeller when Cody Zeller is that important to you, right? That probably means you're not, you know, that, you know, not that deep. And Batum is, you know, never going to be back to the same. And Tony Parker's had a nice kind of floor general year there. I just, I just don't trust anything in that camp. And I think Kemba coming up on a contract year, <coughs> Ooh, that groin, you know, I, I could see a, Oh, you know, like a really non-threatening kind of, you know, soft tissue injury that might make Kemba kind of rest things up for a while. And, and make sure he nails down that $150 million deal and don't go the way of poor Boogie, right? Or, or Zinger or Jabari Parker, all these guys have lost countless fortunes on really, really hard luck timing for injuries. And so I think Charlotte for me is the most wobbly of the three that are in. Um, then, but beneath that, right. I mean, obviously wall is out for the year. 
Washington's still, I think, fully in a choo-choo, chugga-chugga mode. You know, we'll see if, it, you know, being a super underdog and, you know, kind of rallies them around, I just don't have any faith in them. Um, and who knows when if Dwight comes back, if he – he's not back, is he? Is Dwight playing? No, no, no. No, he's not even back yet, is he? Right? <laughs> so they're the most volatile, as they still are, from those seven games under terrible point differential. They're, they're minus 3.2 which is, you know, which literally put them only better than the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference, right? Memphis Grizzlies have a better point differential than the Wizards. And then Orlando, I think they're – I'd actually start circling Orlando in the bottom tier with Atlanta and New York where I think they're, you know, they're several pieces away from being a really complete team. They just don't have nearly enough scoring. Well, the only reason yeah. I put them in there is they're, they're talking and they're going to be buyers. They want to be – they want to make the playoffs. So depending on what they can get back and look, they don't have a heck of a lot of assets anyway. But whether they do bite the bullet and say, you know what, let's give a future first for an expiring contract that's going to help us I, uh, I, this season, who that's going to be, I don't if, know. Uh, look, I'd have to study their owner, Daz, but I go the only. I think if if John Hammond had the gun to his head again, like he had with Herb Cole, where he trades Tobias Harris for, for twenty games of JJ Redick, I go if they do something like that again. Right, and they, if John Hammond does another deal like that, I think, I just think that'd be suicide for a franchise like that who just desperately needs wings and backcourt players in the worst way. So well, look, they certainly need a point guard. That, that's the number one thing they need. Well, it's they just want to it is ridiculous. It's, so it's whether they can pull yeah. a deal off for, uh, I mean, I put out there Aaron Gordon for for Dennis Smith. Um, but, yeah, you know whether that's an overpay for Dennis Smith where he's at, or whether it's an underpay given that what what Aaron Gordon sort of produced at the moment, I'm not sure. Um, and obviously contracts don't necessarily match up there either, so you'd have to yeah. know how that would work. But I, but I'm also hearing that they, while they're interested in Smith, they're not pretty probably willing to give up the assets that Dallas want at this stage either. So that's probably not going to be a goer. I just for for Orlando's sake and that that beleaguered fan base, I just hope they stay the course, right? See what they got with Mo Bamba and John Isaac and when Gordon comes back. Um, yeah, look, I'll be honest. I think the trade candidate needs to be someone like Fournier, where I know he's kind of their second leading scorer with Vooch going crazy. But I think Fournier's on a movable contract, and I think he's enough of a enough of an asset. But I think that's, that's the guy I would look to move. He's not part of the future. Um, I think in a different situation, Aaron Gordon could be quite a valuable chip. I just worry, again, they've done – this terrible well, drafting. That's the guy. Guys, I'd be, to... That's the guy. If I'm an, uh, an opposing GM, that's who I'm calling about. Because you look at the Vic Oladipo experience, and you think, mate, is this guy another Vic Oladipo just sitting there in this dumpster fire? Or even Sabonis. That's right. Yeah. Being played out of out of completely out of position. And, I, that's, uh, I'm, that's what I'm convinced. He's the small. We don't like to say, it, but he's a small ball five. He's you know if he could play five for twenty minutes and four for. For ten, that that's that for me is the best Aaron Gordon. Well, almost the Ibaka role in in Toronto, a little bit different game, but but similar in terms of the minutes distribution of where that. Well, that's right. To play. Now, granted, his his rim protection is not where nowhere near, you know, where in Ibaka is. No, or, that's why I say different game, yeah, but, but same yeah, same sort game, of a minutes yes, distribution yeah. in terms of. Um, that's right. How how often they play the five and the four. So I'd I'd like to see Orlando tank, Daz. I think that's and perhaps that's the direction I I suspect. They'll go. Um, I just can't. I just like to believe that they're gonna. That more, you know, reasonable minds will take over there with Waltman and Hammond and just stay the course. You know, maybe get a little bit younger, get some future assets, and just keep building. And I go, why? Why put themselves in purgatory and kill their draft position by, by trying to, you know, become a nine seed? You know, oh, look, I, I think just, the, I next, just think the next ten games yeah. are going to be cr- critical. 
for teams like the Magic, and then then they'll think they'll make a. Although the the trade deadline is fast approaching, so you probably that's yeah. going to put them right on yeah. the edge of the trade deadline, and then you go, okay, are we going to be sellers, and let's see if we can get a, a couple of draft picks, uh, or are we going to be buyers? And the other thing to just bear in mind: no one's very high on this upcoming draft, so teams might be more willing to give away their first round pick for next year for to get the guy that's, that's a, a bit point. more of a known quantity. It's a good point um, for this year, and and the Magic are probably already out of the Zion Williamson sweepstakes given the the absolute dumpster fire at the bottom For of this sure. conference yeah. that's actually embarrassing and we'll get to that um, a bit later on. So I'm I'm going, you asked me who's going to make, I, I, of the six I'm going Brooklyn, Miami, Washington, those, those are my three and again my Washington isn't a vote of confidence for them, it's more about a, a lack of faith in, in Charlotte and just the, the, I think the potential house of cards it's the Pistons, we saw just last night, you know, Ish Smith went down and Andre Drummond went down. They weren't big injuries, but, you know, they just – I just think that's a potential house of cards there where poor Blake's going to be surrounded by by nobody, and I just worry he's actually going to wear out as well. So uh-huh. I look. I think Detroit's desperate to make the – they are desperate to make the playoffs way more so than Orlando. So I could actually see that logic from, from my perspective backfiring because they're probably the most motivated. Them and Charlotte probably were d- gagging to make the playoffs, even more so than Brooklyn, I'd say. They're gagging to make the playoffs, so – uh, I guess I leave open the possibility Detroit does, you know, does some magical asset flipping. Um, but um, as it were stands today, I actually put a little more faith in the, believe it or not, in in Brad Beal <laughs> carrying <laughs> that. I know it's, that's crazy, right? I think it's more likely you'll be right. They'll finish with the nine seed, and that was your <laughs> that was your initial pick. I think Charlotte will, provided Kemba can stay healthy. I think Charlotte will will hang in there. Um, But just quickly on Detroit, I'll say this as a final point before we wrap this up. I think Blake Griffin's having the best season in the history of the NBA that no one will ever remember or talk about after this season because he's he's putting up a 26, five assists and eight rebounds. And the five assists, Daz, probably should be 10 assists given the amount of wide open looks that guys just absolutely clang off the rim every single game. You have you have you caught much of Detroit? Because I've watched a few of their games recently. Blake Griffin is playing I did, yeah. out of yeah. his mind. I mean, his performance yeah. against the Clippers had to be seen to be beloved as dominant, and and everyone's giving the fellatio to to James Harden, and we might need to talk about that another time because that's quite sickening to me. But what they're overlooking him and the performance like that, that was as dominant as I've seen this year um, from any other player. I think, you know, Steph's been as dominant, Harden's been as dominant, but just for a guy to be triple teamed and just finding open guys, scoring on his own, just willing himself to grab rebounds in traffic, uh, what he's done this year has been just outstanding and and it's, it's actually criminal, the team that they've built around him and the team building uh, travesty that's gone on there in Detroit. It is. So, so just a few few points on that. So um, uh, I have seen quite a few Blake Rams. I, unfortunately, I didn't see the, the Clippers explosion. So I've seen, oh, I've probably seen a good, you know, probably a lot of them early on. But for me, what my takeaway was, you know, you said the outputs where he's literally career highs, Daz, career high in scoring on a per 36 basis, right? So it's literally career highs in scoring. And his efficiency is down a little bit, right? Because he's more of a perimeter player than a, you know, um, you know, catching lobs from from Chris Paul but for me I'd have to rack my brain to ask can you think of a guy who had as powerful and dominant a post game like he had for so many years and rim running um, and the just above the rim play 
to then almost literally reinvent himself and become more of a ball handler, playmaker. You know, he's shooting pull-up jumpers, Daz. He'll, you know, pick and pop, and he'll he'll be the ball handler in pick and rolls, right? He'll do four or five with Drummond and um, yep. and some sneaky ones, reverse ones with Bullock, where Bullock can kind of slide and pop out for three. So it's I just give the extra credit to him, almost building onto your point where can you think of a dominant player inside who became equally dominant and impressive you know, ball handling on the perimeter. And we've had the obvious ones, which are a little bit less probably uh, aesthetic and athletic, you know, Blake Griffin, not Blake, sorry, Brooke Lopez going from, right, you know, um, Frankenstein underneath the basket to, you know, shooting set shots from 35 feet. But, um, you know, that guy just learned how to shoot longer free throws, basically, because he doesn't, his toes don't even leave the floor when he shoots 30 footers. But can you think of a player who was so good internally inside and then suddenly becoming almost a completely part of his game that, yeah, we'd seen flashes and you see a little bit in transition and out in Lob City, but he didn't see this level of playmaking. He didn't have the ball in his hands, did he? He played with Chris Paul. Can you think of such a... I don't know if we'll I'm showing the, the spot, record, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's because obviously you're talking about different eras of the NBA too, so well, it's probably not even something that teams would have thought about, whereas I think you're already seeing it to some extent with Giannis in, in Milwaukee, where teams are thinking, let's, let's a get point. a guy yeah. that's inside yeah. and let's use the ball handling to make him an outside threat. Um, whereas LeBron was probably the other way. He started as a more of an outside guy, and then when he went, particularly when he went to Miami, he worked on the inside game. Well, that's right. Become much more of a much more of a threat inside, but yeah, to, to get a guy that was, as you say, you know, such a dominant uh, post presence, and then say now we're going to make it point Blake. Um, I, I certainly can't think of anyone off the top of my head that's even gone close to, and to that's, doing. And that's exactly right. That's the point, right? I'm with you. I think I, I don't know if it's as you say, sort of the greatest seasons in history. I think he's, you know, he's been a well, he's the, been that, an all-star level player. Everyone, yeah, that's right. But I think that I think it's just. A testament to him for, obviously, he's clearly still upset um, with the you know snubbing of, you know, of Balmer out in L.A. and then that awkward press conference where he pretended it didn't happen. He's still hurt. He never wanted to leave. He's still hurt and bitter by that. So if that, you know, that being disrespected and being jettisoned to a, you know, relative, you know, obscurity in terms of NBA, great, a great, great historic, historic kind of franchise in the Pistons, a lot of storied seasons there. But, you know, that's not exactly the center of the basketball universe right now so whatever he's using as fuel to drive his game you know kudos to him because he's really he's basically reinvented himself and i and i think it's even more impressive than even you know we've talked a lot about over the years you know what lebron does to kevin love turning him to a you know a perimeter player what lebron did to um chris bosh right i guess it'd be similar but bosh basically you know turned into a again pick and pop and spot up guy not a ball handler and playmaker the way white blake has been created sort of been reinvented so yep respect to blake um they don't have much around him when your backup point guard gets hurt and you're going oh god that's a when if smith goes down and you sort of worry about the team's playoff chances that tells you just how just how razor thin their margin for areas in detroit just with a failed draft you know drafts over the years so yeah sorry buddy sorry blake but we um we see and respect your game buddy yeah, look, I hope, uh, part of me hopes they trade him somewhere so he can actually be on a contender again. The way he's playing, um, he deserves to be on a more relevant team 
than Detroit. Uh, and, and if Detroit were five games worse off, I'd probably say just trade him for John Wall and tank the rest of the year and see how you go. Uh, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure anyone wants that John Wall if contract. I, if, I was, if I was Machiavellian and I was running the Golden State Warriors, I'm like, I'll send Draymond home to Michigan, give you Draymond <laughs> and, and Iguodala for Blake Griffin. Boom! Mark it down. Imagine Blake playing the five. We would never talk about Boogie Cousins again. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, look, it would be nice. Let's let, we can only hope. Send, that, um, send Dream on home. That's it. Send Dream on home. Uh, yeah. Either that they get some some sort of talent around him in Detroit or, or move him on, uh, which may become inevitable anyway. And the, the the final point to make on that is, if he continues to play this way, the contract doesn't probably look as bad as the seasons go on, given some of the other contracts that are now being signed around the league. And um, you know, when there's two years left on that deal, maybe teams will start having a look. But it's it's a big ask for him. To maintain this for the next couple of seasons but he has stayed on the court too which is the other thing um, to just bear in mind because that was a big knock on him well, when he went there look it's right it's it's all relative um, it's all relative and it's on the spectrum but just to your just building on that right I think as it would stand today right if you're any generic franchise and you had to take a max contract you're taking Blake Griffin over Andrew Wiggins are you not oh you're taking no question no question Injury history aside, right? At least Wiggins, Wiggins kind of never gets hurt. He just also never does anything. And then, right, John Wall, you take, you take him over John Wall, wouldn't you? Would you take him over Chris Paul? Yes. You take him over Chris Paul oh, as well, not, right? Not close. Yeah. Would, would you take him over Russ? Ooh, yes, I probably would. <laughs> you you hate Russell Westbrook. <laughs> well, look at Russell Westbrook's stats. For goodness sakes. Well, I mean, put, I put Westbrook on... Well, okay, who, who's, who'd be better off? Put Westbrook on Detroit or Griffin on OKC? Oh, okay. okay, that's interesting. Although the <laughs> that fit, fan, that fit fan base would a, freak. But yeah. Then again, Russ in the, yeah, Russ in the East might just will them to 40, uh, 40 wins. I don't know. but He might average 20, 20, 20. <laughs> <laughs> The shooting yeah. has become more and more of a problem. Look, hey, Daz, I'd have him over James Harden, but just because I hate James Harden. That's oh, all. we, we share a passion. I don't, want to, root, I don't want to root for James Harden. So no, that's, no, it, that's all nobody does. Unless Kevin Durant's bitching, then all right. Yeah, all I'd right. have him Give over me, Kevin snap, Durant. Snap your neck back every play, James. You we're, know. we're not the most just rational people to ask, are we, when it comes to this stuff? Well, I don't know, man. We, we, I actually think we're a representative sample, man. There's a lot of people... That you know, that do not like the way James Harden plays. Russell Westbrook is shooting twenty three percent from downtown on five attempts per game. He's he's down to twenty three point nine percent. Excuse me, Russ, twenty three point nine. And that's on up. Five he's attempts. gone up in the last few weeks <laughs> on that. Yeah, he's he, hit a few. Well, he had a game against the Spurs, which you would have probably seen that double yeah. overtime game. And here oh, we go, he was so ducking out good. to the West again. But he was so good in that game. And it oh. was like, what? you got 24 assists, 20 points, 12 rebounds, whatever it was. I can't remember the exact line. And everyone said, that's the way he's got to play. And you think, surely oh, Billy Donovan's saying to him, Russ, this is this is optimised Russell Westbrook. This I'm telling you, I, that is, that's optimised Westbrook. And the other thing I thought about when I saw that game was I go, here's a guy that can play till age 45. Even if he starts losing 10% athleticism every year for 10 years, he'll still be average NBA athlete, right? So what I saw in that San Antonio game was his facial expression just didn't change. He got anywhere he wanted, and he was he was looking to pass. 
right? He'd create some space, create a crease, collapse the side, you know, bring, draw the help and just dish a little pocket pass, a little drill handoff. It was almost, almost beautiful because he's so effortless when his, well, his well, granted he's, you know, he compares athleticism to God love him, but Derek White and Bryn Forbes aren't going to be mistaken for, you know, um, you know, athletes at that level, terrific players in their own right. But that's what I saw. I was like, holy shit, this guy could play forever if he doesn't get hurt. So, um, well, then the next anyway, game he comes yeah. out and goes two for 14. See, that's right. Uh, and I Dennis Schroeder had to come in and save them. So, <laughs> you know. I think he gets, he gets bored, doesn't he? He, goes, he gets bored passing the ball. He's just... He's not wired that way. So it's going to take him years. Well, even so in the game, might... as much as we're, we're praising him, he still shot mm-hmm. over four from three. So that's just four wasted possessions. I mean, it's like a turnover because they're long rebounds. At least it was only four wasted possessions, you know, because we're used to him wasting 15 possessions sometimes, right? But he's not going to get it. Like this, oh, he, he's going to get it. It's going to click. It's never going to click with this guy. That's just, he is who he is. And you've just got to, you've got to live with it. It's the, it's the good with the bad. Um, you know, so that, that, that's anyway. We'll we, we, yeah, move look, away. We, we were we were finishing the praise on 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 Blake Griffin, where I think we just to wrap that up, right? Which was the when he was dealt, we thought it was an unmovable contract. We thought it was an albatross. We saw it as you know, you know, and nothing but abject desperation by by Stan Van Gundy. And here we are, right? Fast forward like six, seven months later. I guess it's almost a year now, wasn't it? That was. Yeah, was it a year? Yeah, about a year ago, wasn't it? It was trade deadline, wasn't it? Um, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? It was trade deadline, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, here we are saying that, you know, compared to the other Max contracts, he's not only not the worst, he's actually quite risen up the ranks. And, uh, yeah, good on him. Good on him, Blake. We'll stop the bashing of Russ here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I still, I still think Detroit's on the outside looking in. Just too many things have to go right for them. Well, let's go, let's go then as to the Tankathon uh, rankings. Let's do and it. You've got... Um, well, there's four teams that are not doing very well. One team is still trying and actually is is 500 in their last 16 games, and that's Atlanta Hawks. So they're 14 and 31. Uh, you've got New York Knicks at 10 and 34. The Chicago Bulls, the Jim Boylan Chicago Bulls at 10 and 36. And the Darren Hill smashed the over Cleveland Cavaliers at 9 and 38. A stellar 9 and 38 too, I might add. You asked me the question, Taz. You said, who, who's best built or who's best set up uh, for the rebuild? Because I think all the, it's fair to say all four of these teams are in rebuild mode. Uh, and you, you're tempted to sort of say Atlanta because they're doing better and looking better at the moment. But given the, the, the otherworldly talent that Zion Williamson looks, looks like at the moment and the fact that I think at least New York fancy themselves as a player in free agency. I don't think you can just view it on obviously what's what's going on at the moment. And I think the fact that Cleveland have the luck that they have in, in lotteries to some way comes into my figure. I'm, I'm almost just expecting and resigned to the fact that they're going to get the number one pick again. But I think it really does come down to if, if one of those teams gets the number one pick, that's going to be a massive um a massive fill-up for them in terms of, uh, of of the future of their franchise. So would you, I mean, is Zion Williamson to you a franchise-changing talent? Because he certainly looks that way to me at the moment in what he's doing in college. Yeah, look, I, again, I'm, I'm going to nitpick, right? So again, the bits I've seen and when you talk about, that's what I'm saying, he's not at the level of Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, 
that ubiquitous Derek Rose, right, was an absolute no-brainer. Like, he's got flaws, right? He is a really huge dude who can't really shoot. He, he kind of steps out. He's shooting, what's his percentage from three-point land, Daz? Do you have that in front of you? It's on 30 or something. Like, he's not really a very good shooter. Okay, but to below average free throw shooter. So, right, he's not, he's not a shooter yet. Doesn't mean he can't learn it, right? Like, Blake Griffin also wasn't a... That might, for me, might be the best comp in terms of style of play, where it's explosiveness, power, above the rim, physicality, and all that sort of stuff without a really refined at all, kind of refined jumper or face-up game. Well, he's only going to assist on 44% of his 111 makes at the basket. So that sounds like Giannis-type numbers in terms of... Yeah, that's right. I guess my worry is... Is yeah. he? Is this men against boys in the sense that he's just on sure, a, physically on a different level, and when he yeah. when he gets into the NBA, he's just not going to be able to bully guys the way he is at the moment. I mean, some of the steals he's getting, he's just taking the ball off them like they're they're a little child. Um, and as I said, it's just the the physicality of the guy just stands out so much. But again, that's the college game. I just, and I wonder. That's my only question: Is everything he's doing now going to translate? There's no question he's going to be a very good player. But is he going to be that difference maker that that maybe people are, are thinking he will be? And I, look, we've heard a lot of number one picks in the last few years. People say they were going to be difference makers. I mean, I remember Wiggins and and Parker. Uh, there was talk about them, obviously Simmons and Ingram, uh, even even Markel Fultz. Yeah, these guys were considered as number one going to be difference makers, not on the, as to your point, the AD LeBron level, but certainly going to be raising the ceiling of a franchise potentially. So, yeah. and, and some of yeah. those have worked out, and, and certainly some of them haven't. So, yeah, you know, it remains to be seen, I guess, but I think. To go back to the point on on the bottom of the conference, I do think it is going to matter this year who gets that number one and two pick because from all we're hearing, this is a genuinely probably a two-player draft and that does fall off after that. So getting those top two picks is going to be critical and that's where Cleveland and Chicago are likely going to have the two worst records in the NBA. I feel pretty confident in saying that the way they're playing at the moment. I mean, they're not even... They're not even pretending to try and win games. They're not even pretending to try and be competitive. They're not pretending to try and have fun. They're not mm. pretending to do, play well, defense. They're not pretending to play offense. They're just, the, they just—they may as well just boot them out of the league and say everyone gets a win now instead of having to put any effort in. Chicago did right. Right when Boylan got hired, they pretended like they were going to like do sit ups and and stuff. But yeah, they've lost what ten in a row. Yeah, ten in a row, and I don't think. None of them were particularly close, right? They gave no, the Lakers a bit of a scare. Well, that's yeah, the Lakers. But, um, the Lakers would... Yeah, if I mean, LeBron yeah. stays injured, the Lakers might find themselves in this discussion. Yeah, honest to God, they might. Yeah, so look, the the bottom is the bottom, I think, right? If, if your question was, I think we're hinting at which of the four... Again, I'm going I'm to lump... We're going to talk about them twice because who? maybe the last time we talk about them all season. But if you're the... Cavs, Bulls, Knicks, Hawks, or Magic. Which team would you rather have, Daz? Right now, you're you're hired as a first-time general manager. You've got, let's say, you got four or five years to kind of, you know, get get this on the right track. You know, maybe it's four, only four, three, four years like Kinky. You've got four years or so to turn a franchise around. Which one would you start with? I'd start with the Hawks. And, and I say it's the obvious answer because they're doing, they look good at the moment. It's probably a little bit of recency bias. But I just feel like, 
the pieces are already there that they're going to develop to be good players, whereas I just don't see it elsewhere. Like New York, yes, okay, they're hoping for free agency. Orlando are sort of stuck in the middle. I can't see them getting good enough draft picks, and they haven't really developed the good draft picks that they have had, although most of them have been that sort of five, six range, which is always a little, that little bit harder to find a star. But they don't have a star on their roster. Um, it remains to be seen, I guess, whether Atlanta have a star on their roster, but they've certainly got some nice boosters, and they've got a direction. So there's a, there's certainly some synergy between what the front office is doing what the coach at the playing style that the coaching staff are trying to get across. And I'm just not sure I see that anyway. I mean, the, the Bulls have signed Jim Boylan up and guaranteed his contract for, what, two years, I think, which was just the biggest head-scratching decision I've seen in, in, in a number of head-scratching decisions from that franchise. Um, the Cavs are just an absolute disgrace, what they're doing this season. Uh, but... If they again, if they get the number one pick, they could turn things around quickly. If 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 Love um, turns up healthy next year, I guess, uh, and then you've got uh, well, that that's it, isn't it? Because um, Orlando was stuck in the middle, and as I say, I'm not convinced that the Knicks are going to be big, the big players in free agency that everyone seems to think. I mean, a, a guy's really going to be lining up to join a 12-win team or a 15-win team, which is where they're looking at going. In all seriousness. And play with Zinger, you know, who, who knows how he's going Post to come ACL back. Post ACL Zinger, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Post ACL Zinger. Like, this is the thing I think of. And again, we're going to go out to the West because people are talking about, well, Kevin Durant might go to the Knicks. And it's like, Kevin Durant felt what it was like to carry a franchise earlier this season when Clay was struggling, Steph Curry was out injured, and they lost a few games, and the, and the blame went on to him. And he, you could sort of tell he was feeling the pressure a bit. I'm not sure he might not have enjoyed that that much to say. I want you want to do that in New York when the the pressure and the spotlight's going to be ten times more than what it probably is already in, in Golden State for that little period that he had. I'm certainly not convinced that, that that's an attractive option for Kevin Durant to go to go to New York unless someone else goes with him. I, I mean, if you look alone, right? You get, you look at the ownership sort of situation. So that for me, is kind of what eliminates the Bulls. And, and the Knicks, just this, I'd even say probably I didn't even give the edge to the Knicks and that one. But then you look at the assets, right, and kind of go, what, what are the Knicks? What do the Knicks actually have? Like they, they don't. They've got a little bit of Kevin Knox, who you know, he's very, very young, shown little bits of flashes. What else? Like, do they have any assets? Moutier, maybe kind of a late developing, you know, bit of a rugged kind of player. You know, he could be. He could be a poor man's Chris Dunn one day, right? You know, I don't mean to, to bang on him, but, you know, obviously Nilakina hasn't developed, you know, Hazonia is a joke, Vonley is, a, you know, a, you know, just a filler. Lonzo Trier is a nice story, but he's not a, you know, difference maker. He's looking up it on that roster, Daz. They don't have they don't have any young players that you'd say are going to you know, really have a possibility to pop, whereas um, I'm actually agreeing with you. So I'm saying Atlanta probably is the most attractive, and I wouldn't have said that you know, three months ago, but you know, the way John Collins and Kevin Herter have taken the next step this year, like, okay, you can see, you may not see all stars in these guys, but these are assets, right? These guys are players and they're learning how to play the right way. And, and that's why I think I'm also saying I'm eliminating Orlando because they've done the, they've done the, um, um, the, the hinky they've done the, right. The Jalil Okafor, Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid log jam with the Amo Bamba, 
Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon, Vucevic, and poor old Mozgov can't even can't get run out there. Like their best players all play, um, you know, a, a non-stretchy four-five. And I go, what are you going to do with that, Orlando? By definition, you can't teach the players how to play their best basketball. So you better trade one. But they're not doing that, right? So I'm just kind of going. I just think Orlando's developing these players in the wrong way. That's why I hate when they stack up all their best players at that at the same position. So to your point, right, at least they got Trey Young, and they got Herter, and they got John Collins, and they've got their, you know, the, the Bazemore and, and Torian Prince and some players around them. They've got five NBA players and, you know, some uh, rotations that make them look and play like an NBA team, just not a very good one, but they're learning how to play NBA basketball. That's the other thing I like about what, I guess, what we're seeing, the the Travis Schlenk and then is it Lloyd Pierce, right? Lloyd Pierce, right, Lloyd his Pierce, first year yeah. down there. Yep. Yeah, and I, don't, I haven't heard too many – not, nothing too great, nothing too bad, but just you can see the logic. And I go, Atlanta feels like a franchise aligned from ownership to general manager to coach to on you know on court performance, and it just feels it feels nice and aligned. And Chicago's a dumpster fire, and you know that, that Cleveland is a uh, <laughs> the, the, after the dumpster fire is done, it's like this melted <laughs> stinking rubber, and there's like rats picking out the some of the leftover you know leftover sermon. That's what. That's what the Cavaliers are. <laughs> they are no an absolute disgrace. They are Dan a disgrace Gilbert on down. Like I watched, head down. I'll yeah. tell you with, with Philly, when Philly were doing the big tank and the process, as it was called, I watched a, a number of those games because I followed Brett Brown because of the Australian yeah. link and, and the Santana link. They were a competitive team night to night. They just couldn't finish games off. They used to blow these games just in terrible fashion. Yeah, they Cleveland, did. Cleveland uh, are just invariably 20 points down at halftime. They're not even... <laughs> they are just not an NBA-level team. They don't They don't pretend to be. They are just... We are out there to lose as many games as possible and get a high draft pick. And I think, you know, I know that they've evened out the, the, the draft odds. But as I said, it, it's still an advantage because, I mean, if you finish with the worst record in the league, the worst you can finish is, uh, I think, pick five in the draft. Whereas if you finish with the, the fifth best record, you could finish, you know, yes, you could get the one pick, but you could also finish as low as 10. So, you know, there is there is still an advantage or an incentive, if you like, for being as bad as possible. And, and Cleveland are just unashamedly um, just losing as many games as they can. Although I'm not sure what, what other options they have, given the roster um, that they had before them um, and the problems well, that they had once their coach- Love went down. I think they reflect their coach, which is um, the Did attitude I have a coach? is, let's just be happy that we're getting paid, right? Like, let's <laughs> just get paid and, and don't get fined by the league. That's their standard. And I go, how do I know that? Well, they've got Tristan Thompson, who's, you know, sexing up a celebrity. They got J.R. Smith, who who just doesn't give a flying fart about the men around him, right? They've got, oh, Cameron Payne. Yeah, there's a, there's your future leader. Um, they've got Larry Nance, who's been hurt. They got Love, who's been hurt all year. Rodney Hood, who's been abject failure everywhere he goes. Oh, they traded for Delhi and Henson. Yeah, well played. Um, you know, they're it's veteran leadership. I think they call that. And they're paying Alec Burks eleven point five million dollars this year. I go, they are. They have gone from from what looked like on paper. Again, I still defend the logic when an owner. You know, has a, a a coach and a GM who've been in place and bringing back the following year, and you signed your you're now your new best player to 120 million dollar contract, 
and you, you bring the team back, and they still had they had Corver, didn't they, at the beginning of the season? They, they didn't make any cool. trades. Yep. yep. Right. So you kind of go. The the logic looked like, wow. All right, Ty Lue wants to prove his point, and anyway, you know the logic. But of course, I grotesquely underestimated uh, Dan, Dan Gilbert's and and Ty Lue's desire to n- not do work and blame other people for things and change their minds. So, dumpster meat fire. Um, Larry Drew, you're the perfect captain for that dumpster fire. And again, I'm actually going to feel bad for a guy. I think he's getting a lot of unfair press. Imagine trying to be a point guard in this league like Colin Sexton, trying to learn the NBA craft. Oh, no chance. Surrounded by Larry, Larry fucking Drew and that, and Rodney Hood, give me the ball. And I think Rodney Hood still thinks he's a 25 point per game scorer, and so what he plays like. And um, again, I think Colin Sexton's getting a bad, bad well, rap. The only thing I'll he... say for Colin Sexton too is that people are saying, well, he's the worst player in the NBA by the by the statistics. Well, you do you know who the worst player in the NBA was last year, well, Daz, by the statistics. Daniel Nawaba? No, Darren Fox. Tim Frazier. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, I'm not... Young point I'm guards I'm, in I'm bad not, situations. I'm not worried about Collins. Yeah, right? well, I've seen some... I've seen actually some impressive efficiency. I didn't know he could shoot, right? He's shooting almost... Oh, how do I have to pull it up? He's, <laughs> he's shooting pretty good from three-point land, right? I thought... I think that was the knock, right? He was an athlete with all energy and all effort, but he's developed a bit of a stroke, Daz. Oh, I'm He's not got... judging. Look, I, you can't judge any. They may as well go and play rec, rec league ball. I'm not. You can't judge anything Cleveland's doing. They're not trying. No. They're they're not no. taking anything serious. They are just taking the piss, quite frankly. And they are. The less this is the, Dan the less Gilbert. About this them, is, the better. This is Dan Gilbert just Dan Gilberting. Yeah. And it looked it, it's in little tiny micro credit. Um, if they were gonna just kind of let the wheels get thrown off the, you know, the wagon, they've done the right thing, right. And trying to collect some draft picks from Utah and from, from Milwaukee, as it were. So they're, they're starting that path, but it's going to be a look. Zion is not again, not Anthony Davis. So even if they land someone like a Zion, this is, this is a, this is a long path. Right. And I just don't have a lot of faith in Dan Gilbert making sound decisions. So, um, so to answer your question of that group, I'm agreeing with you. I, I would actually take it the Atlanta job. Um, over the over the rest of them at the moment, Orlando's probably a second place for me. But I, I just they need to really do some really clever general managing to turn these young players into into something into a basketball team, and not end up you know having jettisoning Jalil Okafor and Nerlens Noel, not jettisoning Vucevic for nothing, and and who knows what happens to Isaac next to Bombo and the rest of it. So for me, Atlanta number one, and, and Orlando probably a distant number two. Yeah, and I think uh, just a final point on Atlanta, but the hope for them is one of those players will pop it and become an all-star and all-NBA-level talent. And I think I've, I've liked what I've seen in parts from Trey Young, but obviously the shooting is a bit of a, a bit of a worry at this point in the season. But I do like the vision. I like the fact that the, off the dribble, he can get to wherever he wants on the floor. It's just his execution is probably 5 to 10% off at the moment. And he's sort of kicking passes out to guys who are wide open, but the pass is that little bit off. And instead of being wide open, they're sort of having to move a little bit to grab it. And then they're not wide open anymore by the time they sort of get in their shooting stand. So I think there's just little things that that he's going to get better at in season two and three. They're also playing him off ball a bit now. I've been surprised with Hurts has actually been playing on ball um, quite a bit in this last yeah. 16 games. Yeah. He's got some playmaking. So that's Jeez, not something that was in the scouting report for him. Uh, coming just, out um, 
it's the the racial bias, but you go, you almost see flashes of a little bit skinnier Hayward, right? That's kind of what he reminds me of is the same kind of angular athleticism and that really beautiful shooting stroke. And you go, yeah, Herder really is. And that was, that was the knock. Like he does one thing. He shoots, he'll get destroyed on defense, has no athleticism, can't really, doesn't have the physicality to rebound and he's not quick enough to play make. And lo and behold, right. Um, put it next to Trey young and, we just don't. No one talks enough about John Collins, and again, it's probably a maybe good stats, bad team a little bit with him. But it's just a bit of a dynamic playmaker. And you know, I don't have the stats with him, but I heard a pod recently where they said, you know, Trey Young's last 15 games, and if you read all his stat lines, are dramatically different than his first, you know, the first 30. So he's getting better. He's actually getting better. And so um, that's, I guess, that's encouraging. And granted, he's not shooting lights out, but. His last 10 games, right? He's shooting 35% well, he's from shooting three days. Better. Since they moved yeah. him off ball, he's shooting much better. He's a much better catch and shoot, which everyone is, uh, than he is off the dribble. Yeah. Um, so that that's one thing. I think that's improved his shooting. That's probably improved his confidence a bit as well. Yeah. In um, November, he shot 19.8% from three. In December, he shot 34.7% from three. In January, now he's up. Um, he's actually almost doubled his attempts so from 3.8 attempts a game in January at 34%. He's about 35.2% at six attempts a game, mm. right? Well, so he's, 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 it's, it's progressing. Yeah. And so um, kudos to him. He's working through it and look, he's getting plenty of time playing 35 minutes a game or 34 minutes a game. So, well, yeah, and they're, again, they're um, developing the right habits too, Daz. Like, and what I like about it is Lloyd Pierce is coaching these guys. So if they make a mistake, and I've seen him pull Trey Young out of games, and Trey Young sat the last six minutes and watched Jeremy Lin take the team. Like, I love yeah. what Lloyd Pierce yeah. is doing there. He's not afraid. As soon as they're walking off the court, he's in Herder's ear, he's in Trey Young's ear, and these guys are allowing themselves to be coached. I really like what I'm seeing. And this is the Golden State. We've talked a lot about the, the San Antonio model and the San Antonio culture being put elsewhere in the league. Well, this is the Golden State culture now going to Atlanta, and I think we're seeing good signs from what they've built up there over the last sort of five or six seasons, yeah. which, which is yeah. something that often gets overlooked because of all the, the Durant and, the, and all the sort of sideshows of, of them signing Durant, signing Boogie Cousins, things like that. They have built up a very, very strong and successful culture there, which we're seeing partly uh, implemented into the into the Atlanta Hawks now. Let's move on, though, Daz, to the, the contenders now as we finish up tonight. Um, and there's five contenders. You've got Toronto at the top at the moment, 35 and 13, Milwaukee 33 and 12, Indiana 31 and 15, Philadelphia 30 and 17, and Boston in the five seed, uh, the up and down Boston Celtics 28 and 18. I mean, it's going to be hard for Boston to catch Toronto in the number one. And then Toronto have the easiest schedule in the league uh, to finish off the season. I'm happy, and I know you probably won't be, but I think Toronto, we can pencil into the one seed. I, I can't see them. I know Milwaukee are close enough, if good enough, but I just think with the strength of schedule in mind, I, I think Toronto are going to hold on to that one seed. Are you worried, Daz, from a Milwaukee point of view, if Milwaukee are the two seed, oh, we've got to go to Toronto? I mean, who scares you? from a Milwaukee fan's point of view, when you look at these other other teams, who's the team you least want to play uh, come the Eastern Conference Finals? The only thing that worries me is that um, the owners decided that they're having 
you know, that Jason Kidd is their lover, they're going to reinstall him as a coach, <laughs> and and that we're going to this whole thing has just been a you know been a flirtation. So as a Bucks fan who's lived through right this recent history, lived through Kidd and Prunty, um, nothing wor- lit- I'm not joking. Nothing worries me. This has been one of the most enjoyable stretches of 45, 50 games of my team anyway in 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 my lifetime. And that's not exaggeration, but that's probably just more about just how starved we've been for high quality basketball. So literally, nothing um, nothing worries me in terms of the playoffs, right? Um, again, I'm at this point where with that as the headline, I go, right. As long all health being equal for all the teams, I just, I, this is all about the Milwaukee bucks. It really is. Cause I can make a case for how they could beat, how they can beat Toronto. Cause they can basically blood. So can, can so neutralize, um, FVV or, or Lowry that they're going to need to do what the only way the bucks have lost to Toronto this year is Pascal Siakam and, and Serge Ibaka go crazy from 22 feet, great. If you can do that, go for your life. Um, Boston, similarly, where they've got, right, We've I was um, pinging you the other night, where I go, Kyrie's having a terrific game. Terrific. He's doing Kyrie things that makes, makes every fan of basketball go, oh, my God, how does that little guy do that? And guess what? They had 49 shot attempts at halftime. Jason Tatum had four. I go, that doesn't worry me either. Right, just the way and the way Al Horford, I, he must not be hundred percent because he's not no, he's, he's not Al Horford of last. Some yeah. something's not right with Al Horford. So again, between Horford and and Morris, they were and Jalen Brown, they were a um, a pretty uh, legitimate defensive trio against the kid version of Giannis last year. Um, Philadelphia is just way too thin, right? Just they're just they're just one ankle roll from having a. You know, from a team that I just I don't fear, um, so I just I just don't. They're just not playing like a unit either. Well, granted, they have spectacular upside with those three guys. They do. I just don't know if I'd trust that over long long term. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose any sleep over that team because the Bucks second unit, which goes super super deep, has been destroying destroying teams. And Indiana, I'll be honest, Indiana is probably the one team who don't have an obvious. Right, they don't have an obvious second scoring threat. That's still going to be their the thing in the playoffs, which might undo them. But I think Indiana probably actually has the most. They play the most consistent brand of basketball. Well, here's why I like they? Indiana does. Yeah. They can defend the three and they can protect the rim. So they're they're the best defense in oh, the league at the moment. That's right. But if if engaged and if not in foul trouble, right? That's where I go. That is the toughest matchup for the Bucks. Do I fear it? No. But is that for me actually is the toughest matchup, which might be insulting to Toronto, but let's just go with it. Where Miles Turner, Sabonis, um, and Thaddeus Young are are freaking formidable in in their ability, especially um, when Turner is super engaged and the way he can protect the rim and close out. If that's what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's the, not they can not only can they defend the perimeter, but their bigs can go out and and chase you a bit. Well, that's so it, that's, and they can play that switch them up style. Um, and you, and the, well, the worry too is what I keep hearing is everyone's worried about what Brook Lopez is. What's how's Brook Lopez going to handle the playoffs? And I'm not, oh, I just don't know that these teams are going to be able to take advantage of Brook Lopez. Certainly, the Warriors probably could, and and maybe it's going to be a case if they get to the finals, Brook Lopez doesn't play big minutes. But I'm not sure these other teams are set up to really let take me, full advantage of that. Des, 
you know, I, I was thinking about the same thing, and um, one of my nerd pods revealed this nugget for me. And so there's a guy, uh, Dean Maniat, who's uh, does all the box on Twitter. He's uh, he's just a dude who loves to compile stats, and he happens to be a French Canadian who loves the box. Fancy that, but um, the so to that point where people go, yep, okay, let's worry about Brooke Lopez getting run off the court. Okay, fine. Did you know in 537 minutes? with Giannis playing um, without Brooke Lopez, and this would be either with Thon and or DJ and or Ursan Ilyasova. So with 537 minutes of, of Giannis on the court and Brooke off the court, the Bucks' defensive rating, 99.8, which would be by far and away the number one defense in the league does. What that tells me, right, is that when you've got, and that's not even a small lineup, because that's Giannis plus Ursan, Giannis plus, you know, the, you know, the, <laughs> with DJ Wilson, Giannis plus, you know, the rangy thon maker is that when you got Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, and DJ Wilson, they can defend the, the heck out of the, out of the court. And so I'm actually, and, and even get rid of blood and put in George Hills, you know, he's a bigger, you know, bigger version of the one. So that's, what's been fun about the bucks this year is they have a whole new, they have a whole new way of winning Daz. If, if Brooks not bombing threes, they're going to play lockdown defense and they're going to attack the rim the way they do, right? Still number one in the league in, in points in the paint. So I'm actually, that's why I look at the East, and I'm just going to accept the data. If the Bucks were, instead of took all the men off of the Bucks jerseys and gave them Boston jerseys, and they'd look at that team and that roster, and Giannis was on the Celtics with this roster and that coach, they go, holy shit, that looks like the favorite. They got the greatest player, and they play a whole bunch of different variety of basketball. They can They can shoot threes like the Houston Rockets, and they got the best interior um, um, finisher in the league. And oh, by the way, they are by far and away the number one team at defending the rim. So good luck getting on them. If you're going to beat them, you're going to shoot 20 footers. And I go, that sounds like a pretty good formula. So will that translate to the number one, one, number one seed? I don't know. A lot of that will probably come down to health, but I think the, the bucks are set up to be like, if I'm, if I'm Philly looking at them, I don't want to play them. If I'm Boston looking at them, I don't want to play them. So I think the Bucks are going to be a, a tricky matchup for, for everybody. Well, I um, think there's two things I'd say. I mean, the, the question I have is how are they going to handle, after so many years of mediocrity, how are they going to handle being the favourites? Now, there's two ways they can go. They, they can free them up and they really enjoy it. And, and I think Giannis is the sort of personality that's going to actually embrace that. Or maybe some other guys don't sort of like like that 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 side of it as much as they've got the target on them and, and everyone's coming to get us. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting. The other question I'd have for you is if if Rob Palinka rang up and you're the Bucks GM, I'll do Brandon Ingram for uh, DJ Wilson straight up right now. How quickly oh, would you hang up? You're such a... <laughs> okay, so up until I saw um, Brandon Ingram actually make the first time, the first time I've seen him make some plays this year, um, oh my God, that's just the most, that's the, the worst question. Even give me a day advance notice on this one. Okay. I'll take Ingram, but only because he's probably worth more. Oh, Bucks Twitter. Would I could probably, flip, if they I could, to I could probably flip him again. Yeah. Uh, no word of, no, no. Okay. I can't even take that seriously because it's actually such a hard question. And it should be the easiest question in the world, but you're right. He's, you know, some you must have had players like this, right, in your past where there's a, you know, a two-bit, you know, number 13 guy and the player has this string of I games. I don't think I've ever seen a guy becomes a, 
who was such a punchline and just come on the court <laughs> and just immediately pop off the screen. It's, right. It's, as soon as he come so out there, it's just stupid. like, who? I, so I was stupid. actually, I was sitting there, who is this guy? And that said, yeah. Wilson, I thought, that can't be. <laughs> it can't be DJ. Is that Wilson. the guy? Is that is that the volleyball from a Tom Hanks movie? Right? That's because might as well be. <laughs> like he just jumps really? off the as soon as he's on the court, it's just he jumps off the screen. Like he's like um I, I sort of compared him to a little bit of Montrez Harrell. Um he's sort of like a even more a more athletic version of Montrez Harrell. He's just the, the energizer bunny. And uh, when he first came out, I thought, oh, it's a nice story, but he'll he'll sort of regress surely. He's actually getting better, Daz. Like, he's hitting step-back threes now. Um, I think he's a permanent part of this rotation. I don't think he's he's going to the end of the bench come the playoffs. No, I'd, I'd be not. surprised if he did. He's Oh, my God, I can't even say this. He's actually really critical because he allows Giannis to play the five and they don't lose the athleticism and they, don't, they can still switch and he's... I, he can do so much more than Thon. I just go, oh my god, he's he's actually quite important. He's like a he's our poor man's Siakam, right? He's that kind of different different dish. But you know what I mean? Kind of mm. that Swiss Army, long, rangy, bit disruptive, um, unusually confident. I just, I still, he just can't believe it. He, I just, I he can't believe it. But uh, no, I'm, I'm telling you that that defensive, the second unit is is playing ridiculous defense, Daz. So, um, so yeah, look, DJ Wilson, nice nice little story. I think he's going to keep his place in the playoffs. And and in your first point around, are you worried about the the pressure? Yeah, who knows, right? We, we Who knows what goes on? Um, I mean, I do you sense feel- the same as me, though, that Giannis will embrace being favorites and say, all right, motherfuckers, come and get me. You've got to beat me. Well, that's what, that's what I mean. That's Giannis has this... He has the um, quiet confidence that he's the best player in the planet. You know what I mean? But he does it in such a playful, boyish way. Then he backs it up with just freakish work ethic. Daz, so quick side quick side note is to go, I don't know. I'm going to stretch this as a proxy to answer your question about why I'm perhaps not worried about pressure. It doesn't mean they won't collapse, i.e., the way that Dame and CJ got blitzed and they got out executed and out coached and outplayed by, you know, by, um, by, you know, quote veteran, you know, AD and Rondo and drew um, last year in the playoffs. Doesn't mean they won't lose a series four nil. Anything's possible. Right. But um, so the bucks had a, it was pretty, it was testy at times, but they beat Orlando and Orlando. Right the other night and uh 118-108 kind of a very forgettable NBA game nothing particularly special happened and um what did Giannis do after the game Daz he used the visiting court and he um stayed for 90 minutes and did a shoot around did a workout because you know what he said in the in, in some media guy stayed over afterwards he said I was feeling a bit out of shape I had a rest or I had a game off against I think it was the Washington game last week and i I feel a bit out of shape. He stayed in a visiting court, not a practice facility, at the court, mm. and had a 90-minute workout after a game where he played 32 minutes. So I go, that's that's that kind of tells me I'm like I don't think he cares about pressure because he's 
going to try and dunk on you, <laughs> right? So, well, um, he's, look, in some ways, he's got a similar mentality to Kobe Bryant in that sense because Kobe used to do that. Like if he if he had a game he wasn't happy with or he did something in the game um, that didn't quite work, he'd be straight out on the practice court and say what you like about Kobe Bryant. He he's was obsessed. A, yeah, he was an yep. obsessive competitor, and that's what I think Giannis has sort of got that. And and what I like about the Bucks is I think there's a plan B there where you can say, well, maybe what if they're not hitting the shots? Like, what if Middleton's not hitting the shots? Or what if Brook Lopez goes 0 for 7? Well, guess what? Giannis is just going to say, get out of my way. I'm going to dunk on a couple of guys and just bring us back into the game. Or Bledsoe's going to just say, I'm going to play lockdown defense. We're going to get a couple of turnovers here and, and get some easy buckets. And I think when you've got that to fall back on, that's going to sort of break up those times when hopefully you don't go 0 for 27. But when you when you might not be hitting your shots as much in the playoffs and you need to just get a bucket. And that, that and, and sometimes it can be as simple as that down the end of these games. And that's where we saw Philly struggle last year in, in close games and Boston against Cleveland. I think Milwaukee are the team I would back to get the easy buckets that they need at the end of these games because you've got Giannis, who's just such a force of nature. That's It's funny you say that. Um, and again, if you look month by month, um, the box started out right like holy crap like let it fly Houston Rockets right where they led the NBA in three three-point attempts a length you know October November that d- stepped down a little bit in December and it stepped down even further Daz so I think they were shooting something like 40 a game in November they're down to 30 a game in the month of January Daz significant yeah. drop off but their offense is still by far I think the number one point differential. I'm not sure if that's the number one. It's not number one. The Golden State's near the number one offense. Yeah, yeah, but still, in terms of efficiency, they're 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 up there. They're definitely top five efficiency, probably still top three, and that's because right they there's just following Mike fucking Budenholzer, San Antonio Spursian principles. Or yeah, okay, you're going to run us off the line now. Okay, we'll puncture the defense more and more. That's what leads to things like Bledsoe going 12 for 14 against um, Orlando the other night, and they go, oh, yeah, it was a pretty special game. And he goes, you were hot. What was leading to it? And he goes, well, can you really get hot when you're shooting, you know, floaters and layups? You know, he kind of joked and, like, shrugged his shoulders. And so I guess that's the the threat of Brook Lopez shooting 15 threes and having the, you know, the four out around Giannis and the way that, you know, Giannis and Bledsoe in particular can just puncture, puncture defenses and Brogdon and Snell can drop 40%. So I go, that's the that for me is as I've started to try and get a little objective about this team is to go, they they actually are winning in different ways. This isn't just they don't need Brooke Lopez to go seven for twelve from three to to win a game, right? And they also don't need Giannis to you know to dunk five times. They've got different ways different ways to do it. So they're going to be formidable again. I think in terms of if if all health being equal, but um, um. So beyond, I guess who? But that being said, who's It'd be hard. I could probably build as compelling an argument, if not a better one, for Toronto, right? Oh, with the, look, with the healthy. No, if yeah. you said to me, Milwaukee don't make the finals, who's my money on? Um, I'd I'd go with Boston. I just think Boston's got the ability to improve a hell of a That's lot on interesting. what they're doing at the moment. I think Toronto's the same old Toronto. I don't think they're they're much different at all. Look. They've played. Right. You look at the big games Toronto's played. They're, they're happy to out of the spotlight at the moment. Up in Toronto, no one's talking about them. They don't get the big games, right? 
They played a big nationally televised game that was a big build-up. Everyone talked about it. And what happened? They got blown yeah. off the court against San Antonio. Now, to be fair to them, they recovered from that. They went on a good run. Then they have another big game against Boston. What happens? Boston run them off the court. Kawhi Leonard no-showed against Boston. Um, the rest of the team no-showed against San Antonio, to be fair to Kawhi. He wasn't the problem that night. But it's just like, I just wonder with this team, when the spotlight's on, the big games come, Kawhi's free agency is going to be more front and centre because the national media are going to come in and be talking about it every night. At the moment, he's shielded from that and they're shielded from that. I think when the pressure comes on and when people start really putting the microscope on this team, I think they're going to fold like a cheap suit the same way that they have in the last few playoffs. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope LeBron there or thinking, not. I, think, I hope your wishful thinking comes through. But I, again, I, I genuinely believe... Look, maybe they are the same. I, I just think they've actually added... Right, Ka- Kawhi is better than than Demar well, and Danny Green. Oh, look, Danny Green made seven threes in a quarter, right? So he's the kind of player who can you know go Clay Thompson for ten minutes and. Well, he and, can. He know, also went zero for seven in the game against San Antonio. So it's high, but high bait. I go with the seven game series. You go. He got a guy who can literally win you a game all by himself in about you know you know ten minutes if it comes to it, right? Oh, look, I've seen him say go the, fair, play fantastically in the playoffs, and I've, and I've seen him absolutely not yeah. be able to throw it in the ocean. Um, in, in different all I'm saying is seasons. compared to last year, I go Kawhi is an upgrade and Danny's an upgrade. So I go they've I think they've upgraded from the team last year and they don't have to face LeBron. I think I think they'd be very confident. Yeah, I but I think the confident. rest of the confidence is up to upgraded. So yes yes they're better. True. Um and if they were playing against the same teams and Joe Prunty's still in in um, Milwaukee and Kyrie's injured from Boston and all this sort of stuff. Yep, yeah, I'm signing up for them. But they're now playing a fully healthy Boston, uh, one yeah. one year more experienced yeah. uh, Philadelphia. Indiana have got a better team this year, um, and I still think their ceiling is higher than what it was last year uh, because Vic's not been playing his best basketball. And I just look at it and I think you know what, Kawhi Leonard's. I, I think Kawhi Leonard's playoff chops and this sort of view that he's this this great player uh, performer is a little we'll bit see. overblown as it's a little bit overblown because yes he won the finals MVP I think he could have given that in 2014 to any number of players and then you look at the season after the Spurs went out in the first round and Kawhi did not have a great series um, the next year they went out to OKC in the second round Kawhi did not have a great series uh, the year after that they beat Houston in the the second round, and Kawhi was injured for games game six and sorry games five and six. Uh, he got injured at the end of game five, didn't play game six, and Aldridge took him. And now, admittedly, had that great one half performance against Golden State before the Zaza incident, uh, yeah. and then he totally no showed for the entire season. So. This sort of yeah. view that yeah. Kawhi Leonard's this great playoff performer that's when the playoffs come he's going to be at his best. Uh, it's a you know it's not it's not without merit because he did win the finals MVP and he played great in 2014 and he had that. If you go and check YouTube, he has what I think is the greatest steal of all time against Russell Westbrook in the <laughs> Western Conference Finals of 2014. But past that, when he was the man in San Antonio, when he was their best player. His player performances were always below par what he did in the regular season. Um, so I'm, I'm yet to be convinced that he's going to be the guy that's going to somehow 
push them over the top. And I know if I'm a Toronto fan, I'm pretty concerned about what they did in San Antonio. That was a that was a pretty stark performance, that one. Uh, but I think they'll continue to fly under the radar. I think they'll be the one seed, and I think they'll probably get through the first round reasonably easily, uh, given that it's probably going to be you know, you know, Charlotte Hornets sort of thing. But you know, if they're playing Philly or Boston in the second round, um, I'd, my money would be on Philly or Boston to go and upset them. I, I don't think I don't think they'll meet uh, Milwaukee in the conference finals. I think it's going to be Milwaukee and, and assuming the seeding stayed the way they are at the moment, obviously there's some room to move there. Um, but I've got a feeling Toronto are going to flame out in the second round again. Um, and then Milwaukee, you know, to me are the, are the prohibitive favourites at the moment. Does, but I, I think Boston's got the most improvement of those teams below. I, so I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of buying it. I think Boston has probably the highest upside of the remaining teams. But I go, Daz, until I, I get that, but I go, we need to see it. We don't have data yet where the, when Boston gets hot, what's happening is Kyrie Irving scoring 35 and going for 12. What, we, what I would like to see Boston do is win a game when Tatum scores 20, Jalen Brown scores 20, mm-hmm. Al Horford has 10 assists, and, and Kyrie plays you know, a supporting, you know, uh, maybe clutch roles, but you know, 20 point, 10 assist type of game. We just have not seen them win this year with true team basketball and that's where I go that for me until I see that I that's a team I don't I fear them probably literally the least at the moment as it stands in whatever January the 20th but I do tend to agree if it starts clicking if Gordon Hayward actually gets better if if Brown and um, Tatum find roles where they're getting they're getting higher usage if Kyrie takes a you know takes a page out of I don't know someone's playbook and becomes more well, facilitator, less. I think Kyrie's tried that at times. Yeah. I think Kyrie's tried that at times, but they just haven't. They haven't come to the party, and which is my he's point. Had to put the team yeah. on his shoulders, which so, is why that, that that team's not a threat to a team like. I just don't think that's a major threat to me in a seven-game series. Well, I think here's a, the thing or two for them. If, yeah. if let's say the seeding stay the same, you know, they'll. I think they'll. They've got the wood on Philadelphia mentally. I just think Philadelphia team to go to pieces whenever they play Boston now yeah, for whatever reason. I'd um, still like to see that in the first round, though. Wouldn't you love to see oh, Philly-Boston that's, that's round one? That's my dream. Yeah. Philly-Boston round one. Yeah. And then you'd have yeah. Indiana-Milwaukee round two, potentially, which I think would be a great series. <sighs> Brutal, yeah. Um, yeah. And then Toronto-Philly or Boston round two. And, um, yeah. You know, I'd probably be rooting for Toronto, to be honest. But um, I've just got a feeling that they're, they're, they're going to be the, be the same old, same old for them. Um, and it's going to flame out for them uh, in that. And that round, as I said, I, I think Milwaukee's their biggest threat is Boston in terms of that. But I think what's likely to happen is that the toughest round they'll have is probably going to be against Indiana. Uh, and then I still think they can get through. Um, and against Golden State, look, you've just got to you've just got to pray that they miss. I think at the moment with Golden State, yeah, that's about all you can, yeah. all you can do. But I mean, you know, essentially, I think. It's fair to say, barring injury, everyone's playing for second. But um, you'd hope that, that Milwaukee at least make it a, an entertaining series. Day. And that's and that's the final thing I'll just add. And I have then I have one question for you. Then we should probably sign off. But I go. I think and just back from a from a Bucks perspective, we we're already you know the the nerdarati and the fans uh, are talking about what does success look like now for the season. And I think you know as as crazy as it sounds, it's like. Um, what, what if we go to a, just the second round and you play a Toronto or a Boston in the second round and lose a hard fought, as long as it's non-refereed, 
right, lose a really hard fought, say, seven game series in the second round, is that progress, right? Is that a successful season or do you need to get to the finals? And that's where I think that's what we're, it's a beautiful problem to have, Daz, but that for us is the, that's the first time we're actually asking ourselves, wow, you know, would we actually be disappointed if we didn't make a conference finals? And so that's where I kind of saying this, this is probably, that's two, two parts of this point where I go, that's kind of where we're at, right? We're kind of go, huh, if we don't make the NBA finals, we're probably going to be fine. And we're going to be really happy. It was a great season. We got a great coach and his team is back and I go, Oh God, everyone's a free agent. Budsell's a free agent. Mm. Brogdon's an RFA. Middleton's an unrestricted. Brooks an unrestricted free agent. I go, oh, might this be the most talented Bucks team we see over the next five years? That's actually also possible that this collection of guys might be the best team <laughs> that we see. Well, and I so mean, that, I, that, I... that goes that goes back to my reality. I go, oh God, maybe I need to, maybe I need to be. Uh, uh, maybe I need to be kind of NBA Finals or bust mentality when I start going. I we can probably bet our, you know, bet that that team's going to experience quite a lot of turnover, and that just introduces all kinds of variability, right? So, well, anyway, that's two the, quick the, points. I think I think it's yeah. it depends on the circumstances because I think had you have said the Philly last year, you get to the second round and you go out in five games, they would have said we'll sign up for that. That's a great season for us. But then true, the way they went out, indeed, yeah, the way yeah, they true. went out, basically just blowing true. every game against Boston down the stretch. I think they were bitterly disappointed with the way it turned out. The other thing I'd say with Milwaukee is you want to at least come out of this season saying, okay, we know or we have a fairly good idea what the ceiling of this team is. So if we bring back Brogdon, Middleton, yeah. Yeah, basically bring them all yeah. back, we understand where the ceiling of this team is going to be. And like I always say, know where you're at. Whereas you wouldn't want to see a couple of injuries happen and Bledsoe's missing or Brogdon's missing. Yeah. And that's where, where it was frustrating for the Spurs going back a couple of years when Kawhi got injured and you thought, gee, we just didn't know how we matched up in the end against Golden State because we never quite got to see the fully optimised team. And then, of course, it all went pear-shaped anyway. But um, So that's what I think. They, they'd be just hoping to stay healthy, get a really good understanding where this team's at, and, and, and hopefully they point. get to the fully optimised team. The yeah. position of this term. So, what was your final question, Daz, that, that you had? Oh, I just get the same one like you had at the bottom. I go, if you've, over the next five years, which of these franchises, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Pacers, the Sixers, and the Boston Celtics, which one, you know, which which has the brightest five year window in, in your view? Who's your, where's your, um, well, where's I think, your, where's your head at? Until Giannis goes to San Antonio, I think it's got to be the Bucks. Does, um, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, I, I think that it has to be the Bucks because Giannis is, if if he's not already, he's certainly on the trajectory to be the best player in the world. I think he's. There's probably an argument he's already overtaken LeBron. There, Steph Curry's probably put his head back up there as, as the best player. But there's certainly within the next couple of seasons, Giannis is going to be the best player. Um, there's nothing I'm sort of seeing that would concern me that he's going to bolt in free agency. Um, I know that will be coming up, and obviously there'll be there probably going to be some AD-like stories next year around the Bucks. But you think they're going to set up enough of a successful franchise to keep him there? If they keep him there, they've you know they have to really blow free agency this this summer. Um, you know, and, and I think they're going to be a free agency destination just simply by being. A contender, 
you know, so you're not going to get the absolute cream of the crop for our agents going to Milwaukee, but you're going to get some pretty decent players looking over there and saying, you know what, we can win a title if everything breaks right. I'll certainly get to the NBA finals multiple times with Giannis there. So I think it's Giannis. Oh, sorry, I think it's it's the Bucks. Um, then you take it over that, the over the Celtics with that. The Celtics are over. That is overrated. The these are these assets and they're very overrated. Those. The, the Sacramento pick's not going to be great. The Memphis pick is probably going to compa- convey this year. Memphis certainly wanted to, and this is not a great draft. So then those two assets are gone. Um, then what, what have they got left? I mean, I'm not unless yeah. I'm missing something. There's not there's not a treasure trove. Horford's of getting old. Horford's getting if Hayward, old. If Hayward doesn't become an and an, you know an all star that. That could be an albatross. That contract, contract could be an albatross. We're seeing some yeah. real regression yeah. from Jason Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown doesn't look to be on the trajectory that he was last year. And I'm concerned. Look, I know I'm probably in, in, in the minority of NBA fans here, but I don't want Kyrie Irving on a max deal. I want no part of that. I, I'd rather see him mm. go somewhere else if I'm a boss. I think mm. that's going to be... Um, and, and, you know, they're all in on Anthony Davis, but I think... Uh, I'm not sure... You know, my, and if they sell the farm to get Anthony Davis, then you've got okay. Then then it's a different conversation. But then you've got to get Davis yeah. to resign, and then, then there's other things that you've got to think about there. Because I don't think Davis is going there as a free agent. So the, these are the things I think. No. The Boston's yeah. okay. trajectory is vastly. Over. I, I prefer Philly's trajectory than Boston's because I just think Philly have got different different options that they can do, and I and I don't think the team they've got at the moment is the team they'll necessarily end up with in five years' time. But I think there's there's some big decisions that need to be made there. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see. But they've got a lot of options, a lot of directions they can go. Um, I think it was Ben Gulliver who agreed with you and he said, even if things go pear-shaped with with Jimmy, and even if they say Boston has all kinds of variables, because at the, at the end of the day, stuff can all go all kinds of pear shaped. And Philadelphia still has Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That's right. And while they're in, while they're imperfect fits, these are both probably top twenty, top twenty five type player. Oh, Embiid certainly top ten, and, and Simmons on his way to being top twenty five. So that's a anyway. I was probably st- I'm still probably higher on. Boston having all kinds of options available to them, whereas the other teams have fewer options to to grow. But I think it's a very fair point to go, boy, those options might be, but the asset value of, say, an Al Horford, who got to see aging, question mark, um, is Hayward going to be the same and be a $35 billion a year, you know, um, you know, a rich man's Chandler Parsons, you know, you just, you just don't know. Will Kyrie looks like he's going to stay, but yeah, he's, He's been anything but a, you know a paragon of durability. Well, exactly, you know? he so can't just... stay on the court, and he's and he's proving to be a bit of a locker room um, problem yeah, as well. Weirdo. So, yeah. uh, good luck as that right. uh, your max player. So. Right. I just didn't want to be burdened with the, <laughs> with, you know, the favorite in the East, and we got the best five-year window, and we've won three for so fuck all in twenty years. So, great. Welcome to expectation land. Milwaukee Bucks fans. Well, I think all those franchises, they really... I mean, Indiana have had a few moments of relevance and obviously Boston have won won some titles in that time, but Philly have had a long long time. Philly have pretty much had the same trajectory as as Milwaukee in the last 20 years. Um, And if it wasn't for that that travesty of a Game 7 in in 2001, it would have been the Bucks um, to the... To the files and not Philly. So, all right, Daz, we'll we'll leave it there, mate. We might we'll try and sort of see if we can separate the um, the morass of the the Western Conference when we next speak. 
Um, we're going to try and get back to a weekly a, w- a weekly routine, but it's not as easy as it, as it used to be now that you're um, you've got some other commitments. No, does, but no. um, we'll see we'll see how we can we go. But uh, there's no no doubt about this that the NBA season will keep ticking on, and and what we think we know today will change within a week or two weeks, and we'll look silly again. It's been a crazy week. I was just even thinking um, the when I did poke my head up and watch some basketball, we had Paul George with the crazy four-point play basically at the buzzer to, to win a game. We had Derrick Rose going hero ball, off-balance fadeaway 20-footer, which didn't even t- come close to touching the rim, nothing but net. And then the buddy healed, fumbled inbound, <laughs> scoop it up, you know, hippity-hop. <laughs> hippity hop three pointer at the buzzer that also didn't touch anything but net. That was just in the last, that was basically two days of basketball, three amazing buzzer beaters um, to win games. So I go, man, that or that or arguing about what's a pass interference penalty and and if it's if a call is so blatant, is it not then therefore uh, you know deliberate? <laughs> so I'm kind of going. And then yeah, what's a catch I'm, and what's not a catch and yeah. Des Bryant and yeah, and Calvin Johnson having playoff games taken away because no one knows what a catch is. So uh, I'll yeah. take I'll take Derek Rose and Buddy Heald shooting off balance twenty two footers, Daz. So um, more 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 to come. And hey, we're going to have trade deadline. I think probably revving up um, pretty soon here too. We got probably two weeks before. Yeah, it's two weeks from today is a trade deadline. So that's right. Yep. Yeah, f- fire it up. We need some sellers, man. We need some. We need some teams like Orlando and Memphis and and some, you know, maybe Dallas to get on a big losing streak and turn into sellers here to kind of activate this market. It feels like it's going to be pretty cold considering there's going to be a a lot of buyers and not many teams out of it. Well, and I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure many people are available. Does <laughs> right? Okay, he can carry DJ Wilson's bags <laughs> to the. To his, to his jet. But, uh, okay, buddy, right, that, was, uh, that, that was, was a fun one. We'll talk West next time. See you, pal. Okay, mate. Bye. Bye.